I'm the petty king, so I know all about everything. I use it as entertainment and just have fun with it because how much it means to each fan base, the cities. There's a lot of stake when it comes to winning championships. And honestly, you wouldn't want to have it any other way knowing that you're on this stage and you're playing for something that really matters to a lot of people. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, here's your boy, Q. You heard Steph Curry right there talking about winning a championship is a big deal. It's big for both teams, and a championship can be won tonight for the Warriors. Of course, the Celtics, they want to they wanna win this game and get it back to the Bay Area for a game seven, and then all chips are in the middle of the table, and it's winner take all. Joining us on the phone lines to talk about it right now is Mark Medina from NBA.com on Twitter at MarkG underscore Medina. And Mark, thank you so much for your time. We talked already in great length about the Warriors side of things. I wanted to t- pay attention to the Celtics because they've been there, done that. They've been in this spot where elimination is right there in front of them, and they've found ways to to win games and continue to, with the series or move on to the next series. What do you think the mindset is for the Celtics going into game six tonight? Yeah, I think it's a few things. It's one, trying to tap into that resiliency that partly explained why they've gone 3-0 and in elimination games so far in the postseason. I think the other thing is making sure that they're much more consistent on offense, uh, You know, most notably with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but also not getting frustrated with the officials and things not going their way. And then I think the third thing is the turnovers. I mean, it's a pretty simple formula through these playoffs. And the Celtics commit at least 15 turnovers, they're one and seven. If they have fourteen or fewer, they're thirteen and two. So a lot of things that they can easily address. But I think on the flip side of the coin, the, the Warriors are obviously a good team, and they have a lot of things that they're mindful about to try to make sure this series doesn't extend beyond the night. Yeah, and you mentioned Jason Tatum, and everyone's talking about Tatum right now. He just hasn't been able to get it done in the fourth quarter. He's had good games, just hasn't been able to get it done in the fourth quarter. What does he have to do different tonight? Yeah, well, I think there's a few things here. Ima Adoka often has talked about this series, about how he needs to just maintain his aggressiveness. Instead of trying to hunt for foul shots and all that, just worry about finding the right uh, shot. And most often than not, you'll be able to convert that into a trip to the free throw line. And then I think the other thing is knowing how to read the defense. Even Even when he struggled shooting the ball, in game one, he had 13 assists because he was really good at adapting and tapping into his facilitating skills. But I think he got away from that as the series went on. Um, you know, obviously, he was able to score a lot better later on in the series. But once the Warriors started clamping down on him, he hasn't been a better passer. And it hasn't helped that Jalen Brown's also been inefficient. But I think if he, you know, tackles the low hanging fruit of not worrying about the calls and not trying to angle himself, so that he's trying to get a foul call. Um, it, most likely than not, he'll have much stronger finishes at the rim. Do you think that Tatum kind of got away from being that assist guy that he was in game one when he had those 13 assists, but he didn't have that big outpouring of, of points? Did he get a little bit away from that because he heard everyone talking about, well, he's got to have more points, he's got to be a superstar? Well, I, I don't know if it's about the narrative or just the criticism. I think to Jason Tatum's credit, he's someone that tries to correct mistakes. He's about the right things. His learning curves, I think, through his young career have mostly just been tactical. Um, but I think that right now it's a struggle. I think that he's shown that he's not just that high-volume scorer that he was in the past few seasons. Uh, he's you know rounded out his game, but I think that he's also struggled in doing that consistently as well as just continuing to be efficient in all four quarters. And, you know, look, 
The Warriors' defense has dialed up a notch. Draymond Green's been better recently. Andrew Wiggins has been an amazing defender throughout the series. And I think Clay Thompson's also shown a lot of improvement after he's you know spent most of the season kind of knocking off rust and trying to adapt to what he was pre-injury. So you certainly have to give that uh, amount of credit to the Warriors because their success, whether it's in the past or now, has been mostly about their defense. But I think that this, it hasn't helped that the Celtics have allowed the frustrations of the officiating to get the best of them and that they've been careless you know, with their turnovers and also just not being able to make adjustments when their star guys, i.e. Tatum or Brown, have gotten you know, double teams or you know, different switches on assignments to then punish them with the open guy. They did that in game one, but you know, the Warriors have been uh, showing a lot more improvement and clamping down on the other role players um, to avoid that from happening again. Talking all things NBA Finals game number six right now with Mark Medina from NBA.com here on Raider Nation Radio 920. What about Marcus Smart? What do you need to see from him tonight to give the, the, the Celtics an opportunity to win this game six? Well, I think the, 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 the main thing is the thing I was mentioning about, you know, not complaining to the officiating. I think he was spending a lot of time in game five trying to sell calls and mm-hmm. flop as opposed to just – playing the kind of defense that made him earn that defensive player of the year award. Um, and then I think he just has to be more selective with, you know, just how he taps into his scoring and playmaking. I think that he's shown that he can do both, but I think as the series has gone on, he's been less consistent with that. And, you know, by and large, these things all tie together with Tatum and Brown and smart. Um, they've shown that they can organize and play offensively as a unit with ball movement, but particularly in the fourth quarter, there's a lot more stagnant movement, a lot more standing around and ISO-heavy plays. And I think Marcus is partly responsible about that because obviously he's one of the key guys that organizes the offense. So if he can uh, make sure that he he knows how to play the quarterback role on offense, that'll do wonders. But I think defensively, it's about playing defense and not trying to sell calls. I know that the Celtics are down 3-2 right now. They're facing elimination, but how, how nice has it been to see a hobbled Robert Williams out there and giving it his all? He's really, to me, been a good big-time difference maker for the Celtics. Well, he is a difference maker, no doubt, but you can't help but wonder, is this injury catching up to him? He's mm-hmm. been amazing at the beginning of the series, and talking to players on the Celtics, they definitely credit his resiliency and toughness and putting mind over matter and you know, mentioning that, hey, even if he's not fully uh, healthy, he's still making a, a, a dramatic impact, most notably on defense. But I think that he's been wearing down, and it's gotten to the point of diminishing returns. I help, can't help but wonder, you know, will he still be able to be effective tonight as he was earlier in the series? Um, so we'll wait and see. I think that the Warriors, they seemed overwhelmed with that at the beginning of the series, but because of their combination of improved effort and their ability to, you know, really tap into their small lineup and also stretch the Celtics defense with a lot better ball movement and more offensive help to supplement Steph Curry, it's really worn Robert Williams. So we'll see how, how suitable he will be for tonight. It should be interesting. What about uh, Al Horford? You know, he was the guy that hadn't been to the NBA Finals. He's been around the league for a very long time, well-respected, had a big game one. Uh, not, not so much since then. Uh, how much does he need to show up tonight? Well, look, I don't think it's a matter if he hasn't shown up to play. He's been amazing, a great veteran player. He's doing all the intangibles. He's tapping into his 
uh, versatility. But the reality is, at the beginning of the series, the Warriors just weren't paying attention to him. Mm-hmm. They were giving him wide-open shots, the same thing to Derek White, because they felt like, hey, it's all about defending Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And no doubt, that's the same priority, but they've also done a much better job in at least contesting those shots. So, sure, Al Horford, you got to be aggressive, you got to knock down open shots, but I don't think it's been a product of his effort level waning. I think just, you know, the Warriors, to their credit, yeah. have been paying more attention to him. Yeah, no, you're right about that. And he, he, like I said, he's been he's been good. He's been really good in that game one. He just kind of he kind of blew up. And as you mentioned, that was a product of the Warriors not really paying attention and daring him to beat him. Well, he did <laughs> in that game. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Mark, because you put out a really good piece on Steph Curry and his his workout regimen and why he's so good. It was such a good piece. I, I emailed it to my mom. I sent it to my son. I was like, oh, this, wow. yeah, no, seriously. I mean, that's when it's next level, right? Is when you start sending it to people and everything. But it was impressive. It really was. And I mean, just, just talk about that regimen that he goes through to be that same guy in the first quarter as he is in the fourth quarter. Well, hey, look, appreciate the love. You sharing it with close family members, you know, talking about it on the air. Um, basically, talking with his personal trainer, Brandon Payne, and the Warriors assistant coach, Bruce Frazier, who works most closely with Steph Curry. I mean, basically, there's a heavy emphasis on incorporating his shooting drills into conditioning because he knows um, he needs to maintain his stamina, particularly in the fourth quarter. And so Bruce Frazier and Brandon Payne, to their credit, gave some examples of shoot of some of these drills. I mean, take for example, he plays the game of 21. A lot of, you know, basketball fans know about this game, but mm-hmm. there's a added twist to it. He has to score 21 points based off any combination of threes, mid-range jumpers, and layups. The layups count as one point. He only has a minute to reach that score, and in between baskets, he's got to sprint up to half the half-court timeline before taking his next attempt. So you can use your imagination on just how much tiring that exercise is, but. You know, to Seth Curry's credit, he often hits that milestone. Another game uh, that he often does with Brandon Payne during the offseason is called two in a row. He's got to make at least two consecutive threes in five spots in at least 90 seconds. And here's the funny thing about this. Steph Curry often completed that drill so many times in 90 seconds that Brandon Payne decided to say, hey, we need to do this even shorter. And Steph Curry would get irritated with him, but he – uh, you know, countered that challenge and was able to complete that drill in 75 seconds multiple times. So it's just amazing <laughs> that not only uh, do these drills illustrate how great of a shooter Steph Curry is, but, you know, it's been a de facto conditioning drill, and it really requires him to still be able to make those shots while he's tired as well as give him that collective muscle memory of knowing how to stay in peak shape because he knows when the fourth quarter of playoff time comes, that's when guys get tired. And even though he's tired, he's still able to fight through that partly because of his off-season work. You know, and it's it's incredible. You know, just reading that, it just just knowing where he was when he had the ankle injuries and didn't know where his career was going to go. And I was one guy that didn't think he was going to have a long career because those ankles were just going to you know wear him out too soon. And, and now here he is, the greatest shooter of all time. He's got the three-point record, and just it's almost like he's he's defying all odds. You know what I mean? It just feels like it's almost in a, he's almost in a position where he shouldn't even be in. Yeah, and, and the thing that's very interesting about his off-season work, um, it's very calculated. There's a mix of kind of fun drills and, you know, uh, knowing when to take a break, when to ratchet up the intensity, but there's a purpose to it. So the bigger thing is he tries to check all the boxes of tapping into a shooting, tapping into his conditioning, building strength so that he can, you know, navigate double teams as well as have the strength to defend guys. So 
it all ties in together, but, you know, I thought it was just fascinating, especially during these, this playoff run, where conditioning is such a heightened uh, importance to really tap into those specific drills that have really uh, explained why he's able to stay in such tip-top shape throughout the season. Well, you did a fantastic job uh, illustrating it. Like I said, I, I was fascinated by it as soon as I started reading it. So great job on your end. Before I let you go, you have any gut feeling on tonight's game, or are you just going to let it play out? Oh, hey, look, I think uh, anything can happen. But if I had to put money on this, thankfully I don't, because <laughs> I usually lose money in Vegas. But if I had to make a prediction, I think the Warriors close this out. I know that – Hey, they've squandered closeout opportunities before in this postseason against Denver, against Dallas, against Memphis. But the reality is the Celtics are a much more dangerous opponent. And I, I think that the Warriors almost view this game the same way when they have that game six against Memphis at home. Hey, we don't want to have a game seven where suddenly everything's vulnerable here. So it's going to be a challenge. TD Garden's a tough place to play. The Celtics have a really good track record in a bounce-back games in elimination games, but I think the Warriors have turned a corner with their separation. The fact that Steph Curry didn't shoot the ball well in Game 5 going over nine from three, I think, gives him some low-hanging fruit to have another breakout performance. But, you know what? Anything can happen, so <laughs> it should be fun. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. Great insight, and again, man, great piece that you wrote on Steph and his workout regimen. It was fantastic. Thank you so much. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk soon. Uh, thanks so much for having me, and uh, thanks for the plug. Absolutely, no doubt about it. There he goes, Mark Medina, NBA.com, at Mark G underscore Medina. And I'm telling you right now, if you appreciate hard work, and I'm a guy that does, and having my son be a D2 college basketball player, I immediately sent that piece to him. I was like, you need to read this, because hard work pays off every single time. What Steph Curry, regardless if you're a fan of him or not, what he puts in, the work he puts in to be the guy he is, all game long and run, 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 run and never stop running. That is incredible work. And Mark laid it out perfectly. The whole regime that he goes through is incredible. You've got to check it out. NBA.com. And again, you can check out Mark's Twitter at Mark G underscore Medina. 317, 318 now is the time. When we come back, we'll take your calls and texts. 702-365-9200. Salmon has text line 69187 keyword R&R. How are you feeling about the offensive line after you heard what Lincoln Kennedy had to say? If you didn't, we'll play it for you next and we'll get your reaction. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. I mean, I don't think it's about, you know, age, youth, any of that. You know, just about that getting the snaps and the reps together, you know, just building the bond, spending time with each other, you know, no matter old or young, you know. You can have a bunch of old guys in, in one room, and if those guys don't come together and build a bond, then it really won't work. So age doesn't really matter. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, here's your boy, Q. Safety Jonathan Abram talking about Raiders defense coming together. It doesn't really matter the age. And we have a former Raider safety coming up. Van McElroy will join us in a matter of minutes. Talk about the team, but also talk about the tragedy that happened in Uvalde. Talk about Mark Davis, Raiders owner, donating a million dollars to try to help secure campuses there in Uvalde. A step that a lot of professional teams, not just football, but professional teams in general, should take a, take a look at and say, you know what? Hey, we could probably help as well probably go a long way but uh, we'll talk to Van McElroy coming up at 3.30 we have been talking about offense and defense talking about offensive line uh, Lincoln Kennedy said that he didn't think that or he says you cannot really hide deficiencies on the offensive line he was on the show yesterday and said that and so I threw out there now with what Lincoln had to say are you more confident in the Raiders going and building up the offensive line and saying that that's more of a priority than the defensive line or do you still think 
defense is something that needs to be addressed first. So I uh, got some good texts that I wanted to get to real quick. Uh, Gizmo said, if the Bengals can make it to the Super Bowl, setting their own season record in sacks, I'm not about to jump ship on our guys and our chances to bring home a chip now. Bring in some depth or not, I'm rolling with this team either way. No excuses. Let's go, Raiders. And I, I don't disagree with that, but it didn't really answer the question. <laughs> I mean, it didn't really, really answer the question. You're like, you're going to roll with the team no matter what. Well, I think all of Raider Nation is going to roll with the team. I'm just saying, what do you think needs to be? Do you think that, hey, the offensive line definitely needs to be addressed? Or do you think that going after a big-time defensive tackle to help solidify the middle of that Raiders defensive line makes a lot of sense? East Bay Raider Gray said, Q, I know this is what you discussed yesterday, but I think picking up Sue can help the D-line and the O-line. Through practice, he can help that O-line get better with his playing against them. That's just my two cents. That's from East Bay Raider Gray. Uh, then we got a text from the 707. Sue has only played in a 3-4 base once in his career with the Rams in 2019. He isn't a nose tackle. His best position where he's had success is a 3 technique and a 4-3. I know most NFL defenses played in sub-packages, but a lot of 3-4s run a 3-3-5 nickel, so he wouldn't fit that necessarily either. So I guess he's out on Sue, and that's okay, and that's why we throw out the question. And then Geese Mode responded again. Also, I disagree with being able to scheme up the offensive line problem. So here you go. Now he answers the question. All the Raiders have to do, <laughs> all the Raiders have to do is look in-house, re-sign Waller and Morrow to make uh, to make them happy and run the offense out of uh, oh, Moreau. That's what he's talking about, Waller and Moreau to make them happy and run the offense out of double tight end sense. There's your solid line right there. Let's go Raiders. So it says Morrow. It definitely says Morrow. So I'm like, no, Nicholas Morrow's gone. <laughs> That's all I can think of. I was like, wait, he's already gone. But he was talking about uh, Foster Moreau. So, um, yeah, I think that Waller getting taken care of, and this is just my gut feeling, I think that's going to happen for sure. But that doesn't mean that I don't think that they still need to bring in someone on that offensive line that's a veteran that can help you know, contribute right away or at least provide some competition. I don't know. Again, listening to Lincoln Kennedy, he brought up some great points. And he's the guy that's been there, done that. He's been in the trench- trenches. Because, you know, one minute you look at the offensive line, you're like, man, you got to make sure I get solidified. Next minute you look at the defensive line, you're like, man, the interior needs to be a little bit more beefed up. Maybe a guy like, like Nadamagasu could come in and, and, you know, bring some nasty and bring a little bit of that edge to him. A little bit of what we all thought Gerald McCoy was going to be able to do with the Raiders last year. Unfortunately, he got hurt and he wasn't able to play. I thought Gerald McCoy was going to be able to do a lot for the team. I really did. I think Sue has that same opportunity. But as our texter said, he's only played in a 3-4 base once in his career. So... There's something there as well. And then we got another text. Any word on who will be doing the new play-by-play? No. No, I have no idea. And even when we talked to Lincoln Kennedy, I just I didn't ask him because I know he's not going to tell me until it's, until, it's, you know, until it's supposed to be out there. But I did ask him if he was interested in it, and he said no. And he said no very quickly. Like, nope, that's way too much work. So, no, I don't have an answer on who's going to do the next play-by-play. I'll just say this. I have no doubt in my mind, whoever it's going to be, they're going to be great. You know, I, I just don't see the Raiders going into it with someone who's not great. Again, you don't have to feel like Brent Musburger was the great, and I'm not the biggest Brent fan, but I know that I know you know he's he's earned the that already. You know, I mean he's 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 fantastic. He's a, a legend for a reason. He just to me wasn't a Raiders. You know, I didn't think Raiders when I thought of him. I thought of many more many other different sports. So that was the only only drawback I had with him. I didn't. Everything else was fine. I'm interested to see who they bring in, but I know whoever it's going to be is going to be great. I have no doubt about that. So at some point, it'll be announced. I don't know when it is uh, from what I heard, and I didn't even ask Lincoln. I just assumed because I've heard that he's definitely going to be uh, doing color commentary, and that's great because I think he does a fantastic job at that. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens, but thank you for that text. We do appreciate you. In a matter of seconds, we're going to have Van McElroy, former Raider safety, 
lives in Uvalde, Texas, and we found out the news today about Mark Davis, the Raiders owner, donating a million dollars to help secure the campuses there. So we're going to definitely talk some Raiders football with him as well, but just kind of talk about the impact that that had on that city, that town that he's from and still currently lives in when they had that tragedy, awful tragedy that, as Steve Kerr, the Warriors head coach, said, we're, we're way too numb to uh, as a society. Like we, I don't want to say get over stuff like that too easy, but it's just like it's almost one of those things like, yeah, it's not a surprise. And those kind of things should be a surprise and a shock and should be, you know, awful. And we shouldn't ever forget those kind of things. But at times it does happen. So uh, be happy to talk to Van McElroy when he joins the show. And I believe my man Ari is getting him connected right now. If you have any questions that you'd like me to ask Van, feel free to hit us up. 69187. Keyword R and R. And now without further ado, let's go to the man, Van McElroy, former Raider safety, Super Bowl champ, joining us now on Unnecessary Roughness. And Van, it's been a minute, my man. Uh, how are you doing? How's things going with you? It's going okay. It's a little rough down this way, uh, to be honest with you. I'm just trying to kind of gather it all up and and uh, figure out just what what happened, you know, and, and, and how everybody's going to go forward and how lives are going to change a little bit. But uh, I think everybody, we're starting to find some answers going forward. And uh, we, we had the last funeral um, this past Sunday. Mm. And uh, so we waited until that time. And then we had made this announcement obviously yesterday. And and so I just, uh, uh, yeah, I think I think there's a plan ahead. And, uh, and I think the only way we remember those, that the, the young kids, I mean, you know, and it's hard. I mean, because everybody, I mean, I've got kids and grandkids, and it could have been them. And, and so, uh, you know, the only thing I can say is that, you know what, by answering their memory, we've got to make this thing safe. Right. I agree 100%. And, you know, I didn't even realize that you were from Uvalde until John Mac- uh, John McClain had told me uh, that you were from there. And then it, I started putting two and two together. And uh, I read the story about how you even found out what was going on. You're driving into town, you know, to go eat. What was that like? Because that's such a small town. You just don't expect something like that to happen there. You don't. And it was, they were coming from every which direction. They, and I'm talking about, the, the, you know, every type of security you know what from police to border patrol to you know you go down the sheriff's office just uh got you know just a light blazing and cars going beside you and it was just it was a bit crazy you know again a little small town and here i am just kind of going the back way over to uh get a little mexican food and and uh uh and, and all of a sudden it's just coming from and, and the schools you know they have you know probably open three or so entryways road-wise, and, and it was just, uh, it was crazy on on either side of those. The, the cars were starting to pack up. These guys, meaning the policemen, were trying to get by. The lights, again, were going crazy, and, and it was just nuts. And so, yeah, and you know, I pulled over and, and uh, saw a couple and just trying to figure out, and, and that's when I heard that uh, there had been uh you know, a shooting there at the school, and so I began to kind of reach out, and because I've got my little grandson over at Anthon, and uh, which is a school not far away, right? Second grade, same elementary. I got four elementary schools here, and so uh, it, it was just a, it was just a tragedy, it, it, just a tragic uh, event. 
Yeah, it was. And, and, you know, that day I know that Warriors head coach Steve Kerr, he was very adamant and angry about the fact that as a society, Van, we're just we're numb to it and we shouldn't be. This These kind of things shouldn't be happening, but it's almost like when it does, we're like, yeah, that's not surprising. That sucks. But it's you know what I mean? It's like we shouldn't be in that mode, but we are because it's happening far too often. It, it is. And, I, and, and, you know, the difficult part, you know, Texas is a big gun place. And, and so you, to get the politics out of it to be in, the, in this area and, and, and in different places, because I do think, I really do think, you know, there are some, probably some things that, that can be done with age and, and what have you and not to really get into that. But I know one thing that we can control uh, that's a simple deal. There's no issue on either side of it is making these places safe, and you can make them that way. I mean, you really can. And, and what we're doing here is, is you're starting off with a with an unscalable, you know, fence that's just impenetrable. I mean, it, you, you can't get in the thing. You know, there's one entrance. Uh, there's control there to start off with. Then you have your camera, so you have eyes on the uh, facility, and then you have uh, all the doors. And really, it almost, in, in essence, and I, I, I hate to use this word, but almost – turns into a bit of a prison. I mean, every right. one of these doors have codes and only certain people can get in. you got to have a code to get in or a card uh, and you can't get in these things. And and if those those things, just those things alone were there, I don't think this guy could have done much damage. Right. I agree. I agree 100%. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you. And, and like you said, you don't want to use the word prison. You don't want to make it have that feel. But I'd much rather have that feel and have that sound to it than what happened, right? I mean, I'd much rather, uh, you know, every one of those children, everyone affected, uh, not have that kind of situation happen. Again, we're talking with Van McElroy, former Raider Safety here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. So we find out today about Mark Davis donating the million dollars after a conversation with you. How powerful is that and how much does that mean to you knowing that you could sit down with your, you know, with, with the Raiders owner, you know, a guy that you, you know, were there uh, eye to eye with all the time and, and and him understand what you're trying to get done and him give a donation like that? It is overwhelming. I'm just telling you. It is crazy. And uh, just to, you know, we've always had the saying there at the Raiders, and they're all those little bit, you know, once a Raider, always a Raider, you know, just one baby, those, those types of, of statements that are made. But And, and starting with, with Al Davis, Mr. Davis, I mean, it. he really – really made those things sink into guys because I'm telling you, if you played and you won, they were going to take care of you. And he took care of me, maybe the highest paid safety in the league for a year, you know, and, and then, you know, some guy, no name guy by the name of Ronnie Locke came along and, and, <laughs> and took that over. But, uh, but, but, you know, and, but he was going to do those types of things. If you, if you were winning and working hard and having success and, and then the other side of that, you know, Mark has just come in and done an incredible job. I think better than any owner in the league of, of, of making the, the Raider organization a family. And what I mean by family, I'm talking about, you know, if, if you played on that team, uh, you're a part of the family. And, and, and he just done a great job of that. We've had different events, uh, you know, gone up there and, and seen some of the older guys. And I say some of the older guys, I'm one of them. <laughs> and uh, but it's just great to see those guys and come in and and, uh, and several of them actually live there uh, now and, and and help out uh, with different events and what have you. But you know, bring us back for it was great to go back and see Tom obviously and Coach Flores and 
uh, you know, losing Mike Davis. Uh, but in all of these, whether they're difficult situations or uh, just exciting situations, you know, we're all there together. Uh, you know, we laugh together, cry together, celebrate together, and and I think that's what family does. And he's done a great job of all those things, brother. Yeah, no, he re- he really has. And and I was very impressed when I when I saw that after that conversation with you, he was willing to make that kind of a donation. And I thought this van, like, man, I wish that other owners of all kind of professional sports would follow that lead and say, you know what, let me help the community that that we're in and and do something like what you're doing right there at the schools there in Uvalde and, and help making those campuses safe. Wouldn't it make sense for other other ownerships to step up and do the same thing? Absolutely, and and they can. And, and here's the deal. You know, what Mark did was it wasn't simply a, you know, one of those deals, for, you know, to uh, all of a sudden get a get a headline somewhere and uh, given this amount of money and what have you. It was a conversation about, okay, listen, tell me what y'all are going to do. I mean, what, what's going to take place with this money? How is this going to, you know, is it just going to be one of those things that goes in and, and everybody just talks, oh, that was so wonderful. And you really don't even know where the money went or how it even worked. Uh, and, and in this case, it was a very, very direct, uh, you know, thought of, okay, um, here's the deal. You know, you get me them out. Let's talk about it. So I did all that. I came back, some, you know, to do what we're talking about. Uh, it's going to be a million dollars. And, and uh, he said, as long is we're going to get this done, I'm in. I mean, there was no hesitation. And and so the point of all that uh, discussion there and talking is, is the fact that, yes, teams can step up. They can do this, but be very direct. And, and those receiving, you know, the, the mm-hmm. different schools receiving that, get something done here. You know, get these schools safe because, again, you can make them safe. You really, really can. And we don't have to fight over a lot of things, if it, at least we know when, when a parent, you know, has their kid in the car and they leave him, drop them off there in the morning, they can see him go through a certain entrance with, with, a, with, with you know, with that fence and, and, and all the things that are there to protect him and, or her. And, and they're going to know at the end of the day, they're going to have a child to pick up. And, right. and that's a good feeling. It is. I mean, it makes it makes the hair on my, my arm stand up when you even mention that, because that was one of the things I said the next day, like a, as a parent and, you know, Father's Day is coming up on Sunday. Like you should be able to drop your kid off at school and be confident that you'll be able to pick them up when three o'clock rolls around or whatever time they get out. And far too many times, Van, that's just not the case. And that has got to stop, regardless of how we feel politically about anything. That's got to stop. We've got to give our kids a chance. Absolutely. And you're exactly right, man. A lot I mean, you should, that shouldn't even be on your brain as, as, as a parent, as, you know, kind of going, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to, okay, I'll drop you off. Man, I hope, you know, hope we'll see each other. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, just the, yeah. the idea or thought of, uh, of any of that, just, it, it's just got to stop. Whatever we do and, and everybody, uh, you know, and, and, and in the midst, and, and my point is this, is that in the midst of trying to, to work together or figure out some of these difficult uh, aspects of uh, the political side one way or the other. I know right off the bat, right now, there's nobody against making these schools safer. Right. So we can get that going as those discussions and, and discuss, you know, those talks go, go forward on some of these other issues that, 
that uh, you know people are pretty hard on on either side. I, I think those discussions can have, and I think everybody can can come together because I think everybody wants everybody to, and, and have some sort of feeling for that. But man, let's don't waste time on this. It's time. I think that this is a great uh, way to start it. Uh, other schools wake up. Other teams wake up in the NFL, as you suggested. Uh, this is what you need to do. You need to go in, find out how much it's going to cost to get this your school safe, and then spend the money to make it safe. You know, and, and Van, to your credit, and again, we're talking with Van McElroy here on Radio Nation Radio 920, you got out in front as well and said, hey, we as a community have got to do this. And so you also put your name on it, put your, you know, put your money where your mouth was and said, we've got to stop this as well because this affects all of us. So we just need some good leadership, you know, in our communities. We do. We do. We, you know, and I know uh, the, the superintendent here, Hal Harrell, I've grown up with. We've known each other forever. And, and, and most of those, those people there at the, at, at the office there, uh, I, I know. And, and so I was able to go in and sit down with him and be very direct about it and say, Hal, listen, you know, this is what needs to transpire. And, and if this can happen, then this is going to happen. And he was all over it, all on it. And then they had the plans, uh, you know, actually big tech file full of, of the door, you know, just what the doors look like, uh, what the fence, uh, the, the rod art, you know, fence uh, will look like. And, uh, uh, you know, all just everything that, that we're trying to, to put in these schools to make them safe, everything is there uh, from a, so you can eye it and see it and, and feel good about it. And then we're going to implement and get those things going. And, and every school can do that. Just sit down and, and get to a point, be direct about it, and, and stop all the, you know, sending money. And, and and two years later, all the cameras are gone. Everybody's doing they're going through life again. And then something else happens, and you talk about it again, and nothing really happens. You just, it just, it's you know, you do it all over again. And, and then, so now we're going to be direct. We're going to get it done. Other schools, other places get this done. I love it, man. And th- thank you so much for, for stepping up and stepping up to the plate. And, and like I said, being out front and saying, hey, let's go get this done and, and putting something behind it to go ahead and make that happen, man. That's that's awesome. And, and I hope that everything, you know, goes. And I hope people take the take the lead or follow the lead and say, hey, we can do this as well. And, and I know, you know, I, I, I want to talk about football. I did run into a couple of your uh, your Soul Patrol brothers and Mike Haynes and Lester Hayes the other day at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Man, it was cool sitting down with those guys. Those are some real good dudes aren't they studs yes i i I love i just love being around the boat and i love being around judge the judge is so he just he's just funny man i Mm -hmm. mean and and he's just very witty he's brilliant in in my opinion he just the things he can come up with and talk about and and uh but no they're good guys and obviously so talented judge i have no clue why he's not in the hall of fame i mean you're the guy who was a linebacker in college and brought in and at his size uh, put out as a bump-and-run corner that I think is the best bump-and-run corner to ever play the game. He, he had a way about him with his hands, with his leverage point and his strength that just scared these receivers to death. And, you know, because he was a big he was a big dude, man. Mm-hmm. And just with the speed he had and the quickness with his feet, just how, you know, he used he, – he he perfected the bump and run, I'm telling you. And uh, uh, Willie Brown was a stud, but this guy, the judge, man, took, in my, you know, he just took it to another level, man. He was really good. 
And so from a bumper, just from that whole story and how it's, you know, where he came from and, and, you know, and, and, and people all talk about here, here's a, here's a young man who stuttered yeah, and, and he overcame that. And, 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 and it's just, it's all of those things that to me so powerful that, you know, the hall is about a lot of things. Obviously it's about the greatest players, but it's also about, you know, telling a story and, and, and then something for those young kids that are coming up to look, look at it and go, wow, look at this guy. Look, look what he overcame. Look, look what he did to become one of the greatest. And so I just, anyway, I just don't understand it. He should be in the hall, bro. Yeah, no, he should, and he will be there in Canton one day, I do believe. And, you know, last year we ran into each other for Tom Flores and Charles Woodson. This year I'm hoping to run into you for Cliff Branch. You plan on being out there to, to celebrate, I'm, Cliff? I'm coming. I'm in, bro. I'll be there. Nice, nice. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm so glad. I know it's late and he's not going to be able to celebrate, but at least his family, at least his teammates, at least his you know friends are all going to be able to celebrate the greatness of Cliff Branch. Well, uh, Van, I don't want to hold you up too much, but I definitely wanted to get your thoughts and, and appreciate you as well for everything that you got going on and helping secure campuses and like I said I hope so many different people individuals teams they follow the lead and do the same thing because we've got to take care of our children my man we thank you so much well you're a good dude you really are thank you brother all right appreciate you there he goes Van McElroy former Raiders safety lives there in Uvalde had to deal or is still dealing with as the whole town is still dealing with what happened, the, the tragedy that happened there. And it just should never happen. But I love the fact that he went in with a plan. Think about that. You can get stuff done. If you go in there with a plan, talk about this is what we need. This is how it has to get done. And this is how it will get done. Things could happen. And you know, when he said that, I almost, I, obviously I'm not going to laugh because it's, we're talking about something serious, but I got a smile on my face. And, and the reason I did is because you can relate this to football and especially being a Raider fan, we can relate this to Al Davis, right? The great Al Davis. How many times did you hear stories about if you went in with a plan, if you went into Al's office and said, hey, this is what we need to do and this is how we need to get it done and this is why with a plan, he would listen to you, right? He would listen to you and, and, and give you that, that opportunity to speak and then actually would happen. You couldn't just walk in and be like, hey, we need to do this, and it was going to be okay. You had to go in with a plan. Van McElroy went into Mark Davis's office with a plan, said this is what we need to secure campuses so what happened doesn't ever happen again. And Mark said as long as it's going to get done, we're not doing this for headlines. We're not doing this so Q talks about us on the radio. <laughs> Damn with me, right? It doesn't matter about me. It matters about the kids. And for him to be able to go out there and put his money where his mouth is and make it happen and have a guy like Van McElroy – lead the charge, that is a big deal. That is a huge deal. And I, I promise you, I hope, that more professionals, more professional teams, I don't care what sport it is, basketball, football, baseball, whatever it is, we see the money that these guys make. They can go ahead and do something to secure that, secure the community so our kids are okay. Hell, their kids are okay. Their kids go to school in the community too. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. Anyone who has a kid has to have that fear when they go to school that that could be the last time that they see them. And nobody wants to do that. There's things we can do. We don't have to get political. We don't have to scream and fight. I don't think there's one person listening to the radio or has ever listened to me on any platform that doesn't want their kids to be safe. Simple as that. So I, sal I salute Van McElroy. I salute the Raiders and Mark Davis. And I salute anyone else who's willing to follow that lead and make things happen to secure the campuses. 348 is the time. This is Radio Nation Radio 920.
Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Many thanks to former Raider safety Van McElroy for giving us a few minutes of his time in the last segment. A lot of good stuff, and uh, unfortunately, it was not a good subject. Uh, you know, would have much rather just had him on talking some Raider football and talking about expectations for the upcoming season, but that wasn't the case. It was had to do with the tragedy that happened in his hometown, which is Uvalde, Texas, and uh, also the, the big step up by Raiders owner Mark Davis to make sure that uh, he can help try to secure the campuses there in Uvalde, and I'm only hoping that other campuses, not only there in Texas, but also around the country, do the th- same thing. Aaron hit us up on Twitter and said, that was a great interview, Q. Shout out to Mark Davis for stepping up and helping that community when there's multiple professional teams in Texas not doing the same. That's facts right there. Hopefully it sets a standard for the rest of the owners. I agree. And that's a great point, Aaron. You know, you got the Rockets right there in Houston. They could do something. Got the Texans right there in Houston. Could do something. Spurs. I mean, you know, and I'm not trying to call anybody out. I'm just thinking the reality of it is, you know, all these teams thrive because of the community. The Raiders thrive here in Vegas because of the community that surrounds it, you know, that it's in. All these different organizations are in somebody's community. Everyone's always looking to give back. Give back. Take care of our kids. That's so stinking important. I mean, it really is. If you don't take care of anybody else, the hell with me. The hell with Ari. No disrespect, Ari. But I'm just saying, man, take care Take care of our kids, man. Give them a chance. You know, one of the scariest, it's not scary. That's the wrong word. One of the things that, you know, bothered me the most about my son going away to school was, okay, you're on a college campus. You're by yourself. You don't have me. You don't have your mom. Are you going to be safe? That was one of the first questions I asked the coach when we're on the, when we're on the Zoom recruiting call. Well, how safe is your campus? I hate that we're at that 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 stage that that's got to be the first question we ask. So now he's up there in, you know, in Monmouth, Oregon, which is a very safe community. I'd rather him be there. than I mean, right now he's at home in Fresno. I'm like, man, I actually rather him be there. I feel like he's safer, you know, there than he could be. I mean, it's just, it sucks. It sucks as a parent. My mom used to always worry about me and I always, what are you worried about me for? I'm good. I got this. I get it. I get it now. You much rather something happen to you than ever happen to one of your kids or ever happen to someone that you know's kids. That is the absolute worst. My mom told me years ago that you will bury me, I won't bury you. And that's how it's supposed to be. Unfortunately, there's not enough times and there's too many times that that's not the case. That is the worst feeling ever is a parent burying their kid. You never want to have to do that. And Van started off the interview saying we just had the last funeral on Sunday. Could you imagine that? How many funerals that they had to go to and attend of all the children that lost their lives? It's just, God, it's it's heart-wrenching. It is. It really is. So I give give Van a lot of credit for saying enough is enough. The hell with this. And when he says that Texas is a very – pro-gun state, he's not lying. You know, when I was in Central Texas, I used to voice commercials for the gun show all the time, right? And look, hey, I have no problem with... I don't I don't care. If you own a gun, fine. But let's make sure the right people own them and not people that are going to do things that we've been seeing. I don't get into political stuff. I'm not a political dude. I'm just not. I'm just, but I'm about safety for kids. 
every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Let's take one quick call. Let's go to Raider Mac. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, Mac? Hey, Q. What's up, brother? That was a great article um, that they wrote on the uh, on the Raiders. Um, that um, on the, I forgot what the, the article was, but anyway, uh, the interview was great. With uh, I remember, man, he was a hitter. Man, that guy would come up and lay the hammer uh, <laughs> in in that secondary. Hey, uh, Q, and I agree with you, man. It, it, it's a, it's a shame, but it's not just school. We right. just can't go. It's anywhere you go in society, grocery stores, right? Anywhere now, you got to look, you know, look, um, look behind your back and stuff, and it, it, it's just sad. But um, you know, um, the Raiders always step up. I've been a Raider fan for a long time, but we always step up when Al was alive. He would donate money and do a lot of stuff. And what I don't understand is like the, the and I don't know if they give him money behind the scenes. But a lot of these teams don't do nothing. Not that you don't you didn't hear the Cowboys donate no money, right? You know, I, maybe they don't want to be, you know, maybe they don't want that. But I agree with you, man. It's, these NFL teams and NBA teams in your in your local area, you should be sending money and doing stuff when tragedy comes. We should come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question, my and this is it. I, I'll ask you about the um, the offensive line. Here's the thing: I said that what we need to do is just shore up the offensive line. Because everybody's picking us. I mean, pro football focus had us like the, almost the worst line yeah. in the NFL. But that's yep. not that's ridiculous. Because the Bengals line was, was was horrible last year. But you you pick you saying ours is that bad compared to last year's Bengals offensive line? That, no way, no way. But uh, I'll let you go on that, man. And uh, yeah, hey, just peace to the kids, man. We got to keep them alive. Yes. Hey, thank you, Raider Mac, for the call. Appreciate you, my man. And we'll address the offensive line on the other side. Uh, we had an interview lined up with Jeff Kerr, NFL writer from CBS Sports. He is currently bowling, and I think he's going to a buffet at Caesars Palace. So he's living his best life in Las Vegas. So uh, he had to cancel with us. No worries. That's okay. Uh, we can handle it ourselves. We'll come back. We'll answer uh, Raider Mac's question about the offensive line. We'll also hear from Lincoln Kennedy again. I'll play that soundbite, him talking about the offensive line. We'll do a deep dive. We'll keep the party rolling. We'll get the calls and texts, 702. 702- 7602 excuse me 3659200 and also the Salmon Ash text line is 69187 keyword RNR this is Radio Nation Radio 920